This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 3rd of March. Now, throughout this episode, we had one eye on education and the other eye on the live NASA feed from the International Space Station because the spacecraft carrying UAE astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi was in the process of docking with the International Space Station. So as part of our programme, we kept our eyes on the skies, specifically discussing the school's outreach programme planned by the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre and the Emirates Literature Foundation. We were joined by Isabel Abelhol, CEO and trustee of that foundation, who talks us through how Sultan will be connecting with 20,000 school pupils. Plus, we also turned our attention to university costs and studying abroad because, of course, the two are very closely linked. We caught up with Kate Raisin from UK Study Option, who told us how British people can get home status. And we also spoke to Varun Jain from Unihawk, who explained how pupils should go about searching for the perfect university abroad. Plus, in the final segments of the programme, when Sultan Al-Niyadi was arriving at the International Space Station, we spoke to Maitha Al-Mazri. She is Head of Programming at the Museum of the Future. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Right, welcome back to the Agenda and welcome to our special schools segment, Eye on Education, in partnership with the Royal Grammar School at Guildford, Dubai. Now, we like to do this every single week. It's a couple of hours. It's our chance to focus on learning. And we always start the programme the same way with a little bit of a focus on the top education news stories that have been making headlines this week. Uh, Now, uh, as ever, over the last couple of days, our sort of major theme has been space. Not surprising, really, considering... Considering uh, the story, the extraordinary historic mission uh, that we have started this week, joined in the studio by producer Jennifer Crichton, who's uh, going to help me with working through these headlines. And yes, space number one, really, isn't it? It really has been all anyone has really been talking about in the office this week, hasn't it? And yeah. Lovely this morning to see this docking process happening but as you've you've touched on also quite confusing to follow live on the radio we've learned a lot of terminology <laughs> it was a bit like the early days of covid when all of us suddenly learned about things like r rates and yes. Uh, you know, how to wash your hands. Apparently you should do it for two minutes or something to that effect. I don't think any of us had ever washed our hands for so long or so thoroughly. And now we know expressions like soft dock and hard dock. And at the moment, that dragon capsule has soft docked, but we are awaiting the hard dock before any doors can be opened. Yes, and I believe at the hard dock stage, that's when we do pressurisation and then they can cross the threshold into the ISS. And that will be a very, very big moment, Uh, not just here on the agenda but I think for the whole of the UAE because that means that is the moment when we know that the UAE astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi is safely aboard that International Space Station where he will be spending six months. It is the longest an Arab astronaut has ever spent in 
uh, space. It is a huge deal for the community here. It's a huge deal for the whole Arab community in the Middle East and further afield. Uh, and I think the Mohammed bin Rashid space station are fully aware of the relevance and importance of that. Yes, and I think one of their main focuses over the next six months is going to be engaging the school kids of the UAE. And they're going to be given the chance to meet and interact with astronaut Sultan al Niadi through a series of weekly video broadcasts from the International Space Station. Now, that's because of a partnership between the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre and the Emirates Literature Foundation called Elf in Space. Now, the programme aims to inspire the next generation of science, research and space professionals, and it's going to be accessed by 20,000 children across the Emirates through both video and radio links, while there's also going to be a dedicated website that will offer a host of space-themed activities to nurture the engagement of budding young researchers. And I have been promised... And I'm going to try and keep them to this promise. We have been promised that we here on the agenda will be allowed to speak to Sultan Al Niadi from space as well. Something that I'm very excited about. And I have asked Salam Almari, the Director General of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Station, about 100 times. And so far, he's always said yes. So I'm, I'm taking that as an affirmative. <laughs> I also, I feel like we're not really going to allow a no on this, are we? We're just going to keep, no. we're, if we keep asking for long enough. If he's not careful, I'll just go and sit outside the space centre <laughs> and wait until it happens. Uh, OK, so meanwhile, there aren't, uh, moving on from space momentarily, we will, of course, be returning to it. And all eyes uh, we have here at the moment on the International Space Station, the feed that we are getting there from NASA. I'm just going to quickly slip in just in case we're missing something. I'd say we're not. (laughs) That's brilliant. They talk all the time on that feed. And I love that the one moment I go to it, there is complete silence. Let's try again. Yeah, complete silence. Uh, So let's turn attention to a big report that just emerged in the last 24 hours out of the KHDA, uh, which suggests that 73% of students who attend Indian curriculum schools in Dubai are receiving an education rated good or better. That's right. So this new reporting from the KHDA has found actually that the proportion of students attending very good schools has increased to 42% this year. That's up from 37% in the 2019-20 to 20 academic year. Now this year, interestingly, inspectors paid a particular focus to student well-being and they're finding that more than three quarters of schools are now taking care of their pupils in a way that was rated as either high or very high. Now Dr Abdullah Al-Karam, the director General of the KHDA said the improvement shown was testament to the commitment of teachers and school leaders at Indian and Pakistani curriculum schools in Dubai. And good news, in the next few minutes we will be hearing from Fatima Bel-Rahif. Now she is the CEO of the Dubai Schools Inspections Bureau and she's going to talk us through that report in the next few minutes. Now let's turn our attention to one of our big topics on the programme today, which is university applications. Now they are currently front of mind for thousands of students across the UAE. Now placements experts are reporting a slight shift in the countries of interest because of course lots of students here in the UAE, because we're a very international country, choose to travel abroad to study. That's right and there are sort of traditional markets 
such as the USA, the UK and Canada, and they remain popular. But we are seeing high tuition fees and living costs prompting a lot of families to look to new markets where things like graduate work visas and scholarships and affordable fee structures are perhaps proving a bit more appealing. Now, reports today suggest that countries including Norway, Germany and France are seeing a surge in interest from UAE-based international students, not just passport holders from those countries. Meanwhile, Austria, Cyprus, Denmark, Finland and Iceland are also becoming increasingly appealing. As a result of funding options, those countries actually offer free tuition for a variety of passport holders. That would immediately put them top of my list because otherwise it's incredibly expensive. Although, of course, then you would have the question of language issues potentially. So plenty to discuss there. And the good news is coming up in the next few minutes, we have two fantastic experts who will be talking us through uh, how you can choose the best university. Uh, You know, if you're listening now and you're a student uh, or if you're a parent, how to choose the best one for your child. We'll be speaking to Kate Raisin. She's director of UK Study Option. Lots of talk there about how British people can get home status. Uh, We'll also speak to Varen Jane, who is the CEO of UniHawk. All of that to come in the next few minutes. Uh, Jen, thank you very much indeed. Lovely to get those educational headlines uh, covering basically everything that matters in the world of education over the last week. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the Agenda, welcome back to Eye on Education here on Dubai Eye 103.8. And we are taking a look now at how to choose the best university for your child. Whether you're looking to study here or abroad. With university applications currently front of mind for thousands of students across the UAE, placement experts, that's university placement experts, are reporting a shift in the countries of interest. Now, traditional markets like the USA, the UK and Canada do remain popular, but high tuition fees and living costs are prompting many families to look at new markets. Now, one country that's actually declining slightly in popularity at the moment is the UK, and that could be in part because the country has a complex fee structure, particularly if you're British. Now, there's a phrase you might have heard before. It's called home status. And things have been further complicated with that home status if you manage to be the holder of a golden visa here in the UAE. Now, to help navigate this potential minefield, I'm joined in the studio by Kate Raisin, who's the director of UK Study Options. We'll also be speaking to Varen Jane, who is the CEO of UniHawk, who will be helping us with how to select a university sort of more globally. But Kate, lovely to have you join us in the studio. How are you? I am very well indeed. It will help if I turned your microphone up. Apologies for oh. that. My brain is slightly scrambled at the moment because I've imagine. got one ear up in space, frankly. It's up in space. You waiting. do a fantastic job, Georgia. Very well done. The juggle. The juggle is real. Uh, but I'm, And I suppose the juggle is real for you as well because it is a very complicated process. And, and what is, I mean, first of all, what is home status and why do British families want it when they're thinking about universities? Well, in the UK universities, we have two fee levels. So we have one for the home students, and that's a fixed rate at £9,000 per year for any course, any university. So nice and standardised and simple to understand. And we have another level, which is for overseas students. Now, this varies depending on the university and the course. So it could be anywhere from £15,000 per year to £70,000 per year. So quite a 
big difference between overseas fee paying and home fee paying. The problem is that a lot of British and Irish families who are living abroad, they are applying to universities and they are getting categorised as overseas fee payers, regardless of the passport they hold. So obviously paying much higher fees. Yeah, 70,000. That would be horrifying. I would do anything (laughs) to avoid that. Uh, I've got two boys. They're a long way off university at the moment, uh, although we'll find out a bit more about that. They're uh, eight and nine. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, let's do this home status thing. How because I really want it. Okay, I mean, clearly anyone who's British <laughs> is going to really want it. So yeah, how do definitely. you get it? Oh, very good question. So it is it's something you really want to think about nice and early. A bit early for you, but some other families might be around the I'm kind a of... prepper. Don't worry. <laughs> yes, I'm great. a planner. We like preppers. Um, so the minimum time you want to think about it is three years ahead of university. So think about the year your child is starting university. Work back three years. That's the latest, really, you want to leave it to start preparing for this. Um, So getting home fees is very much about your personal circumstances. It's not a checklist. It's not an easy tick box exercise. So um, universities will be looking at parents, their employment out here, their immigration status, what property they have in the UK, their residential history, their travel pattern. All of these things go into a fee status decision and determine whether you get home fees or overseas fees. So that's why we like to work with families one-to-one on this and prep nice and early as well. So what counts in your favour? So uh, as in, you know, if I own a house, my children have been to school, boarding school there. Uh, uh, What is that? I mean, they haven't yet, but I mean, I'd have to, I haven't sent them away quite yet. (laughs) They're finding this out now on the radio, are they? (laughs) See you kids. (laughs) Off you go. Yeah, there are lots of variables within each person's case. But in a nutshell, the, the good things that you want to try and get home fees are some sort of home base back in the UK and um, travel back to the UK regularly. So at least once a year is what they want to see because what families are trying to do is prove that they have something called ordinary residence in the UK while living abroad. And they're looking at your lives to see if you're maintaining this ordinary residence. So part of that is having a home. Another part is travelling to that home, keeping lots of evidence and paperwork to show that you've been travelling and all the things you've got back in the UK. And also looking at your employment here. So is your employment here temporary? Is your immigration status temporary? Or are you on one of these longer term golden visas? So all of these elements will determine whether you're eligible for home fees or not. So thinking about keeping connections with the UK, keeping your life here temporary if possible is is how you're going to achieve it. Is there any way of fudging it if you are not British? So what if you were born in India Uh, but you spent a lot of time living in the United Kingdom and maybe your children were born in the United Kingdom. Yes, absolutely. But then you travelled out here and you've been living here for 15 years. Is there a way of fudging it? Yeah, well, it's again, it's very personal. And there are lots of immigration statuses or student backgrounds that would be eligible for home fees. So the thing is, if in doubt... To, you know, find out about it because you might be one of those um, exceptions that actually can get home fees. So if you're British, Irish, you might have another passport, but you might have a long term immigration status in the UK. You may have lived in the UK for a long time. There are lots of different people who could be eligible. So don't rule it out. Do your research and find out for sure you might be eligible. Okay, is there a difference between sort of England and Scotland? 
There is in terms of the fees charged. So in Scotland, they have three categories. They have Scottish home, they have resident UK for anybody who's from the rest of the UK, not Scotland, and they have international. So there are some nuances in certain parts of the UK and the complexities are probably too much to go into at this point. But yes, if you're looking at universities in Scotland, which many people are, because there's some great ones up there, then you might need a bit of extra research to see what your circumstances might be. Okay, so I think that most people living here would love to get a golden visa. Lovely, they'd love to have yes. that opportunity. Is but is can that? But you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, the longer term visa, and that might be a difficulty for proving home status. Yeah, so part of trying to achieve home status is about showing that your life here is a temporary absence from your normal life back in the UK. So what is very helpful for that is if you are on a temporary work contract and a short-term visa, maybe three years or so. So that, that looks like you're here temporarily. But if you switch onto a golden visa and you're here for 10 years, it's more of a commitment to be away from the UK for a long time. So it's becoming harder for you to say that this move outside the UK is temporary. So that's how that that kind of complicates people's case. That is a big thing to think about, uh, because obviously most people would think that the 10 year visa was a genius move, saves you money, saves you hassle and also gives you that sense of stability in this country. But if it's then going to mean you're spending £70,000 a year on your child's education, and maybe if you've got more than two, you know, two, three, four Mm. children, then that would uh, certainly focus the old mind on that. It's worth thinking about, for sure. Certainly is. Kate, thank you so much for joining us here on Ion Education on the agenda. Thank you very much. Kate Raisin there, the Director of UK Study Options. Now, obviously, I'm British. I get very excited about studying universities in the United Kingdom. Uh, But there are plenty more of other options, plenty more other countries in the world. Uh, So it might be tricky for you to make the decision as to which place to send your child. Or if you're a pupil yourself, it might be hard to decide where you'd like to go and live. Uh, So joining us now in the next few minutes, we've got Varen Jane. He is the CEO of UniHawk, and he will be helping you select the best university uh, for the skill set that you desire. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yes, welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back to Eye on Education. We are also continuing our conversation about how to find the best university for your child, both here and abroad. We've discussed the UK option, some of the issues surrounding home status. I'm joined in the studio now by Varen. Jane. He is the CEO of UniHawk, something of a professional in this field, I would suggest. Maren, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Thank you for having me, Georgia. Absolutely lovely to have you here. Interesting to hear there, isn't it, that uh, that certain countries are becoming more popular now for uh, students travelling abroad. Uh, for example, we've got the markets like Norway is getting more popular. Tell me what your studies have found. You know, what, what are the most popular countries for universities nowadays? Well, I think uh, students and families um, come with their own dreams and agendas and um a lot of information that they have got from their friends and families. And everyone walks into the meeting, hey, I want to go to Oxbridge, I want to go to, you know, Ivy Leagues or Stanford and MIT in the US. And then, uh, you know, some want to get the immigration and want to go to University of Toronto or McGill in Canada. So it's all about, uh, you know, their end goal. Uh, Those who want immigration, they want to go to countries which actually would allow them to immigrate. So, uh, yes, the trend is moving. There are people who want to go to Singapore. They want to go to Japan, Malaysia, 
even there are so many kids who contact us from overseas and say, hey, we want to come to Dubai or the UAE to study. So, yes, uh, there's a huge shift. So I'm really interested that you haven't mentioned yet the courses that people want to choose. And, and it, you sort of suddenly get this sense that actually choosing your university is so much more than saying, I want to study English literature. I want to study medicine. It, it's about planning your entire future on that UCAS form. That, that's so true. And, and I think as parents, as teachers, as counselors, we just have to inculcate this, um, you know, uh, ability in our children to say, hey, you know what, let us focus on finding the right fit for you. Uh, you know, what's your dream in life? How do you see yourself when you'll be 25, 30 years old? What kind of lifestyle you want to lead? So, uh, you know, some of my friends have told me that, hey, you know what, I just want to be famous. And how can I become famous? Right? Rings so, a bell. <laughs> uh, like yourself, right? So they can probably become <laughs> Uh, a journalist and uh, so it's I, I think finding a university it's uh, it could be fourfold number one uh, the lifestyle that you want to lead uh, number two where do you want to be location wise that's very important number three you don't necessarily have to know what you want to study or you can probably uh, look at the program that provides you enough flexibility so if you mm-hmm. look at a lot of American universities you know you can study liberal arts and sciences you can probably do economics with you know public policy or you can even study a little bit of sciences business you can combine a lot of courses so I think it's all about finding your right fit and then last but not the least is your learning style that's very very important uh, so look at the universities that actually have maybe a uh, uh, you know, small class size if you like to interact with your teachers and professors. But there are some universities that have actually, you know, a classroom filled of maybe 300, 500 students. So it is all about finding the right fit. Okay, you haven't mentioned affordability yet, which of course must be a huge component. You know, whether you can get a student loan, whether the fees are horrendous. You know, are there countries where the fee structure is more generous to international students than others? So if we look at the facts, Georgia, in 2019, uh, uh, parents all over the world spent over $240 billion on, you know, education abroad. And this number is going to maybe double uh, in next five, seven years. So yes, parents do spend a lot of money. uh, But at the same time, the right fit is not only for students, it's also for the family. All right. So we need to identify that. Do I go to the the UK and study medicine and spend, as you mentioned, 50, 60, 70,000 pounds a year? Or can I actually go to, uh, you know, Charles University in Czech Republic or Debrecen uh, in Hungary and actually get a good degree in just about 15, 20,000 dollars, right? Uh, that is at- such a massive disparity. That's really interesting. But then if you get your degree from a Czech university, can you work around the world or are they, are they not seen as good? Right. So, so see, there are certain exams. So if you want to go and work with NHS in the UK, you take your PLAB and move to the UK. Or if you want to go to the US, you take US medical license exam, US MLE and move so to the US. So on top of that. Yes. Okay, interesting. And on top of that, you know, the best thing about most of the top universities all over the world is that they have scholarships and they have financial aid available for students. I do know families from uh, the UAE and other GCC countries uh, and their kids have actually got up to 100 100% scholarship, where actually universities are uh, literally funding them over $200,000, uh, you know, for four years of education in the US. And there are kids who actually get, you know, $100,000 scholarship in Canada. So again, go back, do a lot of research, come up with your long term plan, uh, start, I would say, planning your Excel sheet, how much can I uh, 
spend on my child's education and which countries are right fit for us, find the program and start building the profile that can actually get them into the program of their choice with scholarship. Okay, 30 seconds left with you. There's lots of people in the car right now driving to pick their children up from school. And they're thinking, oh, I don't need to worry about this yet. My kids are five. I'm still worrying about secondary school. When do you think people should start their university conversations? I would say it's all about preparing your child. So I think let's start from now. Let's start giving them exposure to different types of careers. Let's start building their soft skills. That's very important. Let's start sending them to uh, you know, summer programs. Give a lot of exposure, start planning now. And then once you have enough exposure, when your kids are 11 and 12, start planning your bank balance as well if you think (laughs) you want to send them to one of those top universities. My husband keeps on talking about American universities. Are they the most expensive? Um, I wouldn't say. There are universities in the US where you would spend anywhere between thirty dollars and $40,000. And there are universities that would cost you eighty dollars and $90,000 a year. So uh, Mixed bag. Again, right fit. Amazing to speak to you. And I feel like there is a conversation left uh, when we can sort of talk to people about how they pick their courses as well. I think we've just had a lovely overview uh, from you so far. But I can tell you now, Varun, you are going to be coming back into the Dubai Eye studio in the near future. But thank you very much for Fantastic. joining us. Really, Thanks for having me, Georgia. It's lovely to have you here on Eye on Education. Thank you very much indeed, sir. This is Eye on Education on the agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to The Agenda. Welcome back to Ion Education. In between the breaks, I'm just snacking. I haven't had breakfast yet this morning. It was too exciting here because we're still waiting for Sultan Al-Niadi to uh, step aboard the International Space Station. None of us have eaten. None of us have rested. None of us have really like got a handle on the day because we've been on tenterhooks for the last two and a half hours. I don't think any of us realised how long it would take uh, because Emirati astronaut Sultan Al-Niadi and Crew 6, uh, there are three other crew members, they're on board the SpaceX Dragon spacecraft. Now, they have docked successfully with the International Space Station, which I'm telling you, took a while. Have a listen to this. And now that Dragon has completed the docking sequence, spacecraft must undergo a handful of checks before we will be able to open that hatch. The crew on board Dragon will now get a chance to get out of their suits uh, before, before moving into those hatch operations. So the first thing you realise when you're doing quite a lot of space reporting like we have over the last couple of days is that it all takes a really, really long time. A really long time. Okay, so the four-member team, they blasted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center at Cape Canaveral in Florida yesterday. They were welcomed, in fact, in three languages, English, Russian and Arabic. Obviously, we just heard the English there. Sultan was welcomed with a warm assalam wassalam by Houston's ground control station. Uh, wonderful to hear, of course, that Arabic greeting. It is so important that we have an Arab astronaut spending six months aboard the International Space Station. The journey has taken them just over 24 hours. We're still waiting with bated breath for their entrance to the ISS itself. We will keep you posted as soon as that exciting moment happens. Uh, We're hoping that it's going to happen during the agenda, but my goodness me, they're making us wait. In the meantime, let's turn our attention to another very important topic back here down on the ground. Uh, And it's time for a good news story because nearly three quarters of pupils who attend Indian curriculum schools in Dubai are officially receiving an education rated good 
or better. That is according to a new report from the KHDA, which also found that the proportion of students attending very good schools had increased to 42%. Now, that's up from 37% in the 2019 to 2020 academic year. Now, this year, inspectors paid a particular focus to student well-being and positively more than three quarters of schools were found to be taking care of their pupils in a way that was rated as either high or very high. Now, a little bit earlier, I spoke to Fatima Bel-Rahif. Now, she is the Chief Executive Officer of the Schools Inspections Bureau here in Dubai. And I asked her to give me a few more details on those results. This is really great news. Overall, it's a picture of improvement. 73% of our students are currently attending Indian curriculum schools, which are rated good or better of which 46% are in very good or outstanding schools. The proportion of students attending very good schools had increased to 42%, up from 37% back in 2019-2020. Another piece of good news is six schools educating more than 6,000 children and students have improved their overall inspection rating. And there is no Indian curriculum school in Dubai that is rated weak. We have better provision for inclusion in our schools with 85% who are currently enrolled as part of the Indian curriculum schools are receiving good or better provision and inclusion compared to only 74% back in 2019-2020. And more than three quarters of our schools are providing well-being provision that is rated high or very high. And this year, uh, I think the good news to parents as well is we have customized the inspection reports for them. So they have their own customized parent summary report that will provide them with the information of areas on school performance that are most uh, important to them. So what are the criteria for success? I got, a, I got a sense there of some of them, you know, things like inclusion. But what other boxes do schools need to tick? Our uh, universal uh, reference in the United Arab Emirates when it comes to inspection is the UAE School Inspection and Evaluation Framework, which uh, clearly outlines the expectations and standards against which schools are you know, being assessed on and evaluated on. And as such are the requirements for schools to be good. And also across uh, the scale, this includes, so for a school to be rated as good, uh, this would mean that the school would have at least uh, a good progress and the and the outcomes and the achievement of uh, children and students, good teaching across the school, strong leadership and leaders are able to put in self-evaluation processes in place appropriately. So all of these good features need to be also demonstrated in a consistent manner. So I noticed that the teaching of English is also an important part of a successful inspection. Why specifically is that element being teased out? It's one of the five key subjects that are uh, being assessed and evaluated by inspections in the in Dubai and across the United Arab Emirates. And English is the language of instruction in schools that offer the Indian curriculum uh, in Dubai. So in order for our students to successfully access the curriculum as subjects and, and the content, it's really vital that they have a strong and confident command of the language of the curriculum. So obviously, you mentioned there great news that there weren't any schools classed as weak, which is the lowest category. There were some that were classed as acceptable. Now, what do they need to do to improve to get themselves up the rankings? 
So generally, schools that are rated as uh, acceptable will need to ensure that the governors are uh, fully committed to being the driving force behind change and improvement where needed. Uh, leaders of uh, schools will need to have a clear and well-articulated school development plans with specific smart objectives and measurable uh, outcomes. Uh, teaching across uh, the school needs to be consistently good with the students at the center of the learning process and students must be making at least good progress in the, in the key subjects and more specifically to the outcomes of inspections this year. Uh, which uh, are some of the areas that Indian curriculum schools would, would need to consider, especially that the new academic year is, is, is coming very soon, are, for instance, the provision in the early years. The schools will need to focus on improving the quality of teaching and learning for the younger children. It should be child-centered, interesting, fun, with lots of opportunities for children to play, uh, engage with a wide range of resources and develop their literacy and numeracy skills. We would also like to see more consistency of good or better uh, teaching, particularly in the primary phase. Uh, lessons uh, will need to be more challenging, interesting student centers with activities that meet the needs of all children. Uh, lessons would need to encourage students to take on more of an active role in their learning, to develop at a young age a love for learning and reading and to develop their uh, inquiry skills and critical thinking skills. There's also space for improvement and the use of data by all teachers to ensure that they're able to plan for the lessons that will meet the individual uh, needs of all of their students. That was Fatma Bel-Rahif. Now, she is Chief Executive Officer of the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau, giving me the lowdown uh, on their latest report on the Indian and Pakistani schools here in the UAE. Very important survey. More than 65,000 pupils here in this country go to those schools. Uh, So fantastic to hear that so many of them are doing well. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personal learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to The Agenda. Welcome back to Eye on Education. We are very excited here in The Agenda studio and I think across the country because it looks like we could be very close to that moment when uh, Sultan Al-Niadi will be leaving the Dragon capsule along with his fellow crew members and boarding the International Space Station. We've got a really odd shot on the telly at the moment can't quite see what's going on. They seem to have got out of their space suits. They're now in their blue sort of uh, outfits, all in ones. And they look like they are very much ready to go aboard the space station. I'm just going to listen to the NASA feed. Have a listen to this. I have no idea what it is at the moment. Let's, let's try it. S-22, Expedition 69 will begin, still under the command of Roscosmos cosmonaut Sergei Prokopiev. Yeah, we are still waiting for them to board the space station. I'm so sorry, it's very difficult to juggle uh, the exact moment when people are talking and when people are moving. Uh, But it's fair to say at the moment, that's the sound of the space station there, a hum of air conditioning. Uh, But hopefully we will be coming back to them in the next few minutes. Now, uh, as exciting as uh, the Crew 6 space mission is for adults, and you can hear how exciting it is in my voice, it is arguably even more exciting for children here in the UAE because suddenly a career in space doesn't seem like an impossible dream. And that, according to the UAE's very first astronaut, Hazar al-Mansouri, is something that should not 
be underestimated. Since childhood, like in back in UAE, that to dream to go to space, that was a little bit critical. And even just to say that in schools back home, to say that I want to be an astronaut, that was something that not an option for us. But when they did the announcement back in 2017 and we saw that opportunity, we applied uh, Sultan and myself and 4,000 applicants from UAE just to apply to be UAE astronauts. So we had that privilege. We have been selected for the first patch in UAE. We went to Russia to train and I went to space. I flew to space in 2019. Uh, Sultan, he was my backup in that mission. And I, I am now as his backup in this mission that was... Uh, amazing journey for both, for both both of us. I mean, like the amount of support we 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 we, we saw in the whole community here in, in, at NASA that was really huge, just to make this mission happen for UAE. It's big and huge, and we are really excited. I am super excited to see my colleague Sultan and uh, Woody, Steve, and Andre Fedaev launch the space. It's gonna be an amazing mission for them. Six months on board the station, uh, doing science, uh, exploring, and uh, conducting different sessions with different schools and kids, that for me is a big thing. Okay, now as Hazard just mentioned there, over the next six months, school kids across the nation are to be given the chance to meet and interact with astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi through a series of weekly video broadcasts from the International Space Station. Now that is because of a partnership between the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre and the Emirates Literature Foundation. It's called ELF in Space and it aims to inspire the next generation of science, research and yes, space professionals. I'm joined now one of the by one of the organisers of that programme, Isabel Abelhall, OBE, who is CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Festival. Uh, how are you? I have just realised Isabel might not be able to come through on the line, Milani, in our control room, because that is the same feed as the NASA feed. So I think we're going to need to get Isabel on the phone. It's just a realisation that we've just had. You are hearing it live on air right now because I think unfortunately I cannot have Isabel and the NASA feed on the same line and at the moment we have the NASA feed on that line. So Isabel, I think you can probably hear me. We're going to try and call you on the phone uh, now. And then we're going to be able to get you on the radio to discuss exactly how that program is likely to work. In the next few minutes, we're also going to be speaking to uh, the Museum of the Future, basically Maita al Mazri. Now, she's head of programming at Dubai's Museum of the Future, is going to talk us through exactly how they are uh, inspired by this second manned mission uh, for the UAE and how their program at the Museum of the Future will be influenced by this extraordinary historic journey uh, that we are seeing take place right now. I've got one eye on the programme and I've got another eye on the space programme, the, the, the NASA feed at the moment. We occasionally get this extraordinary picture from inside the International Space Station where you can see the astronauts floating around. Uh, there's a lady on screen at the moment and her hair is long and tied back, but but floating around. She looks like a mermaid. It's, it, it's stunning in many ways. She really does look fantastic. Uh, so we will be coming to Isabel Abelhall in just a few minutes once we get her on the telephone line and then we can chat to her about this program. Uh, she has just picked up the phone. I can see on the screen and we will be coming to her in a minute. In the meantime, let me just uh, play you a clip of the UAE astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi explaining what his plans are for while he's up in space. It's for the sake of science, for the sake of spreading the knowledge about how important it is to fly and uh, to uh, push the boundaries of exploration, not only in uh, the leading countries. 
Our region is also thirsty to learn more, and I think we will be uh, uh, ambassadors in these missions. Hopefully we can come back with knowledge and share whatever we learn with everybody. Yes, sharing the knowledge, that is what is going to be so important. Isabel Abelhall, OBE, CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Foundation, joining me now on the line. Hi, Isabel. Sorry about the confusion there. No problem. I, I se- take second, second place to Nasser. I quite <laughs> agree. I mean, it is amazing. I have just been um, on tenterhooks uh, since the delay from Monday, and then it all went successfully yesterday, and now actually seeing them. So we've had a long partnership with the astronauts from the very first um, moment of the sort of announcement of this program, and it's been so exciting. I mean, you look at great literature, as always, had space at its heart. You know, it's, it's uh, something that's fascinated us uh, for, for generations. So this, we came up um, in, in partnership with the uh, Mohammed bin Rasa Space Agency to have an Elf in Space program over the course of six months so that uh, school students across the UAE and across the region and the world, actually, we've got, we've had huge number of schools already registered within minutes of us announcing it. Uh, the website was live yesterday. So it is going to be a, a, a sort of unique opportunity for students to engage and learn from not only astronaut Sultan, but also uh, various members of the uh, MBRSC team who make this mission possible. It will be a combination of interviews with him, the astronaut on board, leading experts in con- conversation with him. And it will go out uh, every Thursday morning at 8.30 UAE time. Um, schools, it's completely free, just have to register and then they can... They can tune in on a weekly basis. If they miss it, because they've registered, they'll be able to pick up that session on the website. They can send in photographs, questions, videos, things that they've done. And, you know, um, every week we'll have a theme. The first week it's on exercise. The next week it's on water. So these are all the sort of challenges um, when you go to space that, that we're going to be exploring and having fun with um, over the course of the next six months. Uh, I mean, it sounds absolutely amazing that you've got it all planned and ready to go. And what an extraordinary opportunity for any school child to speak to an astronaut and ask him a question while he's actually in space. Will they be able to, to send in direct questions of, of, of whatever, yes. on whatever they yes. want? Absolutely. Anything is possible. So we're not putting any limits on this. We will do everything within our power to to get questions to the astronaut, to have at some stages live conversations. Um, we're going to get him to draw in space. He's going to be talking to uh, space experts, authors, etc. those conversations. And um, any any school who's part of this can load up whatever they have onto this specially built website um, that will act as a archival resource on space. There will be space facts, there'll be space jokes, you name it. it. There is a space connection, we'll have it up there. Where do they go if they want to register? Obviously, 12.15 now here in the UAE, lots of school teachers yes. have just left for their day. Uh, yes. So they might be in the car right now. How do they find out more about this programme? Okay, it's uh, elfinspace.ae. Elf. And there's, you would, in space, E-L-F, in, I-N, and then space, S-P-A-C-E, 
dot ae in space so i mean sorry just dot ae sorry can't help myself now no don't worry and, we're all um, over excited at the moment i tell you i've been a jitterbug all day i've been getting so much wrong yeah. <laughs> it's just too exciting i've really got caught up is, in the sort of space is, passion it so it's not just children it's adults i mean we are all just it is it is an out of this world experience and I just can't wait to see how children are going to respond to this across the country and across the region. And it has, it's something that is going to ignite education, you know, in the best possible sense, because there's so many questions we have that I want to know about, you know, um, personally, how do they eat? How do they drink? You know, what, where can they get their water from? There are some very curious facts around all of these things. Um, Gravity. Why? What is gravity? So, you know, it's a sort of real in the moment exploration of science in the best possible way. And I just think um, children are so curious about the world around them and about the world that's out there. So this is an amazing opportunity for teachers, for educators, for parents to be part of this wonderful six month journey. Um, And I'm so grateful to the Mohammed bin Rasis space agency for asking to partner with us on this and putting their faith in this and you know god willing we won't let them down oh i'm sure you won't my goodness me it'll be a fantastic program very very exciting and thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us right here on the agenda on our eye on education special program uh, about exactly how that program is due to take place i know that i'd like to be asking questions i hope my children get the opportunity to ask questions uh, and so make sure you do check out that website elfinspace.ae This is Eye on Education on the Agenda With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people Hello there, welcome back to the Agenda and Eye on Education which is of course our special segment here on learning and schools and we are turning our attention well keeping our attention uh, on the impact of the UAE's second manned mission the impact it is likely to have on educational programs across the Emirates just have a listen to Sultan now it's for the sake of science for the sake of spreading the knowledge about how important it is to fly and uh, to uh, push the boundaries of exploration not only in uh, the leading countries our region is also thirsty to learn more And I think we will be uh, uh, ambassadors in these missions. Hopefully we can come back with knowledge and share whatever we learn with everybody. Okay, so there you go. The big question now for the nation's educators is how to harness the current enthusiasm for all things space in a way that encourages the nation's school children to embrace STEM subjects. Because really, the UAE government wants the mission to lead more youngsters to consider the possibility of a career in science, research, or even space travel. So how do we maintain and nurture that interest? Well, I'm joined in the studio now by Natha Al-Mazrui. She is Head of Programming at Dubai's Museum of the Future. Thank you so much for coming in, Maitha. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a very exciting moment. I have a feeling you're going to be here with us for that moment when the door, the hatch opens between the Dragon Capsule and the International Space Station. I mean, you've worked in the education space at the Museum of the Future for some time now. Well, exactly a year, probably. Um, (laughs) What does this mission mean to the museum? Well, uh, first of all, uh, it 
as I just mentioned to you, it, it feels very surreal to witness this moment, a historical moment, uh, as uh, an Emirati. And uh, I would like to con- congratulate everyone uh, in this nation uh, for this historical moment. Uh, well, the space sector uh, or the space theme in general is uh, a major focus at the museum at the moment. Uh, we have an entire floor dedicated just about uh, space exploration. Uh, the visitors go through uh, an, a whole experience, an immersive experience, where they live like an astronauts in 2071. Uh, so uh, they actually uh, they they live as they are astronauts in a space mission in our uh, sp- space exploration uh, uh, floor that's called OSS Hope. And they go through an entire journey where they uh, they have specific uh, like uh, duties to, to fulfill uh, at this uh, this floor. Fantastic! That must be hugely popular with both school children and probably adults alike. Yes, it's one of the favorite uh, um, floors at the museum. And uh, to be honest, like it's amazing to see the reaction of especially kids when they go to that floor where they uh, like pretend to be astronauts and uh, they're just having fun. I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I know that you've actually had astronauts and the wider mission team already involved in the program, haven't you? Yes, actually, uh, Sultan Niyadi and Hazal Mansouri, they're not just guests at the museum. They're actually part of the family of the museum. Uh, we we were privileged to to have them several times at the museum. Uh, we actually co- collaborated with uh, Mohammed Barat Space Center several times, especially in, in uh, educational programs uh, where we had Hazal Mansouri uh, have a future talk at the museum. He had also a storytelling session for kids at the, the museum. It was so inspiring and very cute, to be honest. And uh, we had uh, Sultan Niyadi also and Hazza again uh, uh, giving a tour uh, for kids at the museum. And to be honest, it was so inspiring to see how both of them actually uh, uh, explained the entire content of the museum by themselves. Like I was there as part of the museum and I didn't even speak. Amazing. (laughs) I mean, it gives you a sense there of just how engaged these two astronauts are. Exactly. Not just, yeah, not just with the sort of joy of going into space as as sort of individuals, but but spreading the word. They really want to spread the word, don't they? And like the the way that re, they reacted with uh, uh, the kids, like their questions and their innocent uh, comments, it was so funny to watch. And uh, like kids were asking about their food and how to shower and every uh, other thing. And they were so engaged and it was so inspiring to witness this moment. Really lovely. Uh, Maytha, I'm going to keep you with us. We're going to go to the news now. I'm keen to keep one eye on the telly because in a few minutes, that moment when he enters, Sultan Al-Niyadi enters the International Space Station should be happening any minute now. I'm so thrilled that you're going to be here uh, with us. It makes sort of almost poetic sense. Uh, Maytha Al-Mazrui, the voice you heard us there, Head of Programming at Dubai's Museum of the Future. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yes, welcome back to Ion Education. Welcome back to The Agenda. Georgia Tolly here keeping you company until 1pm. I'm not on my own in the studio, though. I'm joined live by Maytha Al-Mazri. Now, she is Head of Programming at Dubai's Museum of the Future. There couldn't be a more poetic moment for me to have Maytha in the studio. Thank you so much for staying with us. Thank you so much. Um, well, it's because literally... We are, I think, 
minutes. I don't I don't dare say seconds because we've been waiting for a couple of hours now. But I think we are minutes away from Sultan Al Niyadi uh, leaving the SpaceX Dragon capsule with his crew members. There's three others uh, to enter the International Space Station. Uh, they are ready to open the hatch. Uh, every now and then I slip back in to have a listen to the feed from NASA. Often it's completely silent, like now. And then all of a sudden you'll hear a voice suddenly speak. So do you know what? I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to leave the fader up. And so if somebody from NASA uh, control starts speaking, uh, Mathur and I ready. We know that it's a possibility. Oh, here we go where it's a possibility that the hatch could open during this segment of the program. As you can imagine, we're on air okay, to... Dragon, we are in Section 6 of Ford SL 400. We are ready for Dragon Hatch equalization. Ooh! <laughs> I mean, how, how does this feel to you? Because obviously, as an Emirati, it must be a source of enormous patriot, you know, patriotic moment. I mean, I feel uh, so proud at this moment, and it feels surreal and like, like a dream to be honest and um, yeah I'm just trying to process. absorb and process everything. I can imagine I mean much much the same with me it is extraordinary to be watching this moment obviously one of the reasons why Happy Dragon ready for hatch equalization. So the one person I don't mind interrupting me is NASA. He can carry on. Anytime he wants to interrupt me he can step in. Uh, we're watching the live feed here on NASA's Dragon Station, this is Houston. Standby for equalization expected to take two minutes. Two minutes. All right, I'm going to stop for two minutes then. I don't think we can hang around for two minutes. This is Mission Control Houston. So the final step of equalization of pressure across the docking interface uh, about to begin. We'll take about two minutes for that pressure to be equalized. And that uh, should be the final step prior to hatch opening. Once the hatch opens... And uh, the Crew 6 crew floats on board the station. Uh, It will take just a few minutes for them to get set up for the welcoming ceremony involving all 11 crew members to greet uh, the newly arrived uh, Crew 6 quartet of Steve Bowen and Woody Hoberg, who you see in the field of view, along with Emirati astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi and Roscosmos cosmonaut Andrei Fedyaev. Right. We're going to let them do that two minutes. And while they're doing it, we're going to talk to Maytha, who is head of programming at the Dubai's Museum of the Future, to discuss exactly how they are planning their exhibits according to this, of course, second historic mission uh, to the International Space Station. I mean, are you changing your programming accordingly? Uh, Well, the Museum of the Future is considered to be a living museum. It's constantly upgrading and changing and evolving. So uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if we added uh, this historical moment to the museum as we are constantly upgrading our exhibits and our programs as well. Uh, As I've mentioned that uh, space exploration in general was a main focus uh, for the programs at the museum. Uh, We've hosted Sultan and uh, Hazza several of times at the museum. They did an amazing uh, talks and workshops and even uh, a, a storytelling session at the museum. Yes, I mean, it really is lovely how the Museum of the Future covers all aspects of space. And it's not surprising because ultimately children and adults alike love learning more about the extraordinary things that happen uh, when you are out of the Earth's gravity uh, and the effect that that has on your body and the things around you. Yes, yes, true. 
It's really, I mean, and so as far as uh, inspiring young people, is that very much a key strategy for the Museum of the Future as well? Is the aim to sort of encourage more of them to take up STEM subjects, for example? Yes. Uh, well, uh, kids are actually one of the main focus at the museum. So we have, uh, as part of the programs, we have uh, education summer and winter camps. We have workshops. We have a lot of talks. We have specific programs that cater to uh, students and uh, kids in general. And it's amazing to see uh, the way that they evolve and progress in specific uh, topics such as space exploration. So uh, the live feed has now crossed to the Mohammed bin Rashid space station. I'm not sure if at this angle I'm quite far away from the TV and I'm slightly short-sighted. So I can't quite see who is on the television at the moment, who is that there's a sort of greeting uh, community at the uh, Mohammed bin Rashid space station, about eight people who are standing up, who are clearly the dignitaries who have arrived there at uh, the centre. So they can see this extraordinary moment when the hat opens between the Dragon capsule and the International Space Station. Let's go live to that feed from NASA again. It is bizarrely quite quiet at the moment. If you wanted to see uh, the pictures that we can see here, super simple, just go to Dubaii1038.com. We have the live feed there. Uh, At the moment, we can see all four of the astronauts, the quartet of astronauts, as they were just described as, um, all preparing themselves inside the Dragon capsule. My goodness me, Mayfair, it doesn't look like there's much room up there, does there? (laughs) It's really tight. It's a really small space. But you have uh, met personally, haven't you, Sultan Al-Niyadi and Haza Al-Mansouri. They came into the museum for various occasions, haven't they? Yes, uh, I've met them several times and uh, it's really inspiring to see them uh, talk in person. Pressure across the docking interface about to be completed. Oh, it's hard to know, isn't it? As the Crew 6 crew prepares uh, to open the hatch and come on board the International Space Station. Do you know, it is almost impossible to present It has this. been uh, just a, <laughs> a shade over two hours since uh, Endeavour docked to the space-facing port of the Harmony module that occurred at 12.40 a.m. Central Time, 1.40 a.m. Eastern Time. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Right, it is happening right now. It is happening. Here you go. Okay, so I can see the hatch opening occurring again at 2 uh, 45 a.m. Central on the Dragon side as uh, the International Space Station flew 260 miles off the southeast coast of Australia. So the hatch is being opened. If you're watching the NASA feed, we are slightly ahead on the NASA feed, so we can actually see that uh, the meeting and greeting is happening in this moment. Steve Bowen on board the International Space Station. Yeah, you can see they move one through one after the other. There's a huge sense of celebration. You can see the astronauts shaking each other's hands. There's not much space. You've got 11 astronauts in a a very tight, small space, a bit like the size of a small bathroom. Woody Hoberg now on board. It's amazing, isn't it? Maytha has uh, stayed with me in the studio. Maytha from uh, the Museum of the Future. Well, I think we're about to see Sultan Al-Niyadi uh, join the International Space Station. Sultan Al-Niyadi comes on board the International Space Station. Absolutely amazing. 
I'm being... <laughs> and Andrei Fedyaev. So the Crew-6 board, is, the Crew-6 crew is now on board the International Space Station. Can you see Sahail, the, the toy, as well? They brought the toy, the, the mascot, the Mohammed bin Rashid uh, Space Center mascot. They'll uh, take a board. few minutes uh, to uh, complete uh, greetings uh, between each other before they set up uh, for the welcoming ceremony. Absolutely amazing to see all four crew members finally safely on board the International Space Station. It really does feel quite emotional to see them all there. Maytha, you're an Emirati. You work for the Museum of the Future. How does it feel for you to see a UAE astronaut there on board? Historical moment. I feel, to be honest, emotional. And... uh Yes, such an amazing moment. It really, it really is very, very special to see him up there, surrounded. Uh, I mean, all the other astronauts are, are Russian or they're American, and then you've got our, our very own UAE astronaut. Oh, a crew of eleven crew members for the next week. There's not going to be much space. It's very, very, it's a very tight community. Uh, I mean, an absolutely amazing moment there. We are going to be waiting another few minutes before they do the official opening ceremony. So we'll take this moment uh, just to take a very quick break here on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. But really an historic moment, an emotional moment here. Uh, and it's fantastic to know that UAE astronaut Sultan Al Niyadi is safely on board the International Space Station after that extraordinary journey, which of course, started yesterday uh, in Florida when he took off on a Falcon 9 rocket at extraordinary speed and then travelled through space for more than 24 hours. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the Agenda and welcome back to Eye on Education. And I have to say, there is definitely a mood of celebration here in the studio today uh, because we are watching a live feed from the International Space Station and Sultan Al Niyadi is safely on board the International Space Station where he will be spending the next six months. He has finally docked and the hatch has opened and it really does uh, feel momentous. It really does feel pretty awesome to have him there. Uh, Obviously, there are massive risks associated with space uh, and it is brilliant that he has made it safely aboard the station. Now, uh, we can see 11 astronauts at the moment all piled into a very, very tiny space, all making space for uh, the official greeting ceremony, which is due to start in the next few minutes. I've just got the NASA feed. Okay, we copy. And uh, are you going to let us know right before that? So we'll uh, stop with whatever comments are going on at that moment. And what's brilliant about the NASA feed is occasionally you're hearing official stuff like the hatch is opening and occasionally there's just the machinery of the thing, which I think is what we just heard there. Uh, joining me in the studio in, in a sort of si- wonderfully symmetrical, uh, sort of poetical, sim- symmetrical moment. Um, I'm not making much sense there, you can hear, is Maitha al She is head of programming at Dubai's Museum of the Future. Maitha, we originally got you in to talk about the space program and how it works at the Museum of the Future. But that was back when we thought this whole docking process would have happened two hours ago. But isn't it lovely to have you in the studio, an Emirati, an Arab woman, seeing this historic moment and giving us your reaction to it. You know, you can see him there. He's smiling, really grinning uh, on board. How does it feel to, to have him there 
on board that International Space Station having photographs taken along with uh, 10 other astronauts. I'm extremely proud of this moment and I'm extremely proud of him. And uh, it's amazing to see him uh, arriving safely to the space station. Yeah, I mean, we were all very nervous, obviously a father of five. uh, So, I mean, we'd be nervous for any astronaut. But as a father of five, traveling up there and spending six months, it's ever more important uh, that he stays safe. And I've seen him in person. So and uh, also has Zal Mansouri. So I I kind of have this relationship with them. And I saw uh, their kids as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, have you met the yes, children as well? Oh, how remarkable. Right. I think the uh, the press conference on board the International Space Station may be starting, uh, or at least they are ready with their microphones and, and they're all lined up, uh, ready to look at the camera. It looks like we are a go for the press conference in the next I'll few I'll give minutes. you guys a call on three when we're about to lose our KU, and then you guys can just continue with the event. Let's see. Uh, because- That's great, David. Thank you. We've got about three minutes left of this program. So uh, my fear is that we won't be able to catch the, the, the entirety of this press conference. But if you want to watch it, you can just check out dumai1038.com. We have the NASA live feed there. Uh, if you want to look at the pictures, if you want to watch this historic moment. All right, David, we are set up. If you want to do one more scene check with the entire crew, I think we're in our uh, positions. Let us know how this works for you. What's brilliant about the NASA feed is that we are literally seeing the entire machinery of the whole process. There's no sort of getting yourself ready and then going live. You guys look outstanding. Station, this is Houston. Are you ready for the event? We can see the, uh, the dignitaries who have arrived at the Mohammed Houston, bin Rashid Space Station. Station. We are ready for the event. Uh, there are several, uh, I'd say there's a group of... NASA leadership, this is Mission Control Houston. Please call Station for a voice check. Station, this is Kathy Leaders. How do you hear me? Kathy, we have you loud and clear. It's great to hear your voice. Come on, NASA. You've got 30 seconds before I have to end the program. No pressure. But if you could let an astronaut speak Well, I'm really... We created a little bit of anticipation there at the end for the crew six folks, making you wait a little bit longer before you got to station. But... As always, it's so great to see you all go, come safely through the hatch and join your crew members on station. You know, this is going to be, a, next six months are just going to be packed full of very critical events. And one of the first critical events is getting your crew five uh, crewmates um, ready to come and come back down to earth. Um, but we're really looking forward to all the great science Hopefully a couple of EVAs and updates on some new solar arrays. And uh, you'll have a few more crew vehicles coming up during this period of time too. That brings us to a close. Fantastic to hear there, the start of that press conference. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.